Hey, I'm Kim Forrester and welcome to Eudaimonia, the podcast that is all about flourishing. More than just the mundane or pleasure and pain, Eudaimonia calls for us to create a good life. It's about fulfillment, inspiration, joy. So plug in, relax and get ready for the goodness as we explore the characteristics and daily practices that can help you, your loved ones and your community flourish. What does it mean to employ ethical behaviour? Whose ethical boundaries do we adhere to? And is it really vital to be an ethical person in order to live a good life? Hilary Jane Grosskopf is a leadership strategist, writer and yoga teacher. She has an extensive background in corporate leadership and the study of systems engineering and she is the founder of Awake Leadership Solutions, which helps current and aspiring leaders strengthen their leadership and build strong teams. Now, she is the author of two leadership guidebooks, Awake Leadership and Awake Ethics. And I'm absolutely delighted to be chatting with Hillary today about the ethical principles that can enhance our societies and our daily lives. Hillary, it's such a pleasure to have you here on the Eudaimonia podcast. Thanks for being here. Hi, Kim. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Now, you say that there are many misconceptions about ethics, one of which is that if we're brought up by good people, then we'll automatically be an ethical person. And another one is that we will naturally become more ethical as we grow older. How exactly are we misguided about these concepts? Yeah, so I think for the most part, people, especially people listening to this podcast in particular, are good people or nice people or working toward, you know, a better life and, and going in that direction. However, many people, even if they're generally good or we feel that we're a generally good person trying to be a good person, we're often conditioned by our past, whether it's our parents, by our work environment or people we've worked with growing up school or society to act unethically at some point as we grow up. And this may resonate with some listeners out there as I'm saying the word condition. So <laughs> yeah. ethics are principles for moral behavior, but we often see examples of others that teach us to act unethically to get ahead or serve our ego in certain ways that may provide a temporary high, right? Or advance our individual ego in some way, but don't really provide long-term benefits for us or large-scale benefits for the world. Right. So uh, I think growing up, a lot of people experience, you know, being taught these different ways of acting that really aren't quite ethical, but maybe are used to get ahead in a more single individual or ego-driven way. Like for example, cutting in line, right? All of us are taught by someone usually growing up in our teenage years to cut ahead in line yeah. or even, you know, leave our trash out on the beach and, and not pick it up just just out of out of habit or something like that. Or in the work environment taking credit for someone else's work or leaving a job without taking the time to really transition the role to someone else. So mm -hmm. all of these things that whether they're intentional or not, we often learn as we're growing up from others that pass down these practices that are sort of focused on individual um, 
progress, not necessarily progress of the whole or authentic or mindful progress. So I think it really comes from being misguided by examples we see, um, systems that we enter into, like I said, work or school or whatever it is. And, and we learn those ways of acting. And often when we're young and we learn those ways, we don't know or we're not awake to the fact that they're necessarily right or wrong. So whether it's intentional or not, I think a lot of us are you know, misguided by by what's out mm. there sometimes. Well, I think one of the biggest problems is that we're probably not even conscious of our ethical behavior, are we? Whether we're being ethical or not, we tend to go onto autopilot. And so a lot of mm. our behaviors feel right because they're what we've already done and always done or other people are doing too. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they are ethical. Right, exactly, exactly. So yeah, sometimes people are good people, but they don't even realize that they have practices that aren't necessarily empathetic to others or aligned in an ethical way. Yeah, sure. So that, yes. So we just need to get more conscious about that. Now, it's interesting, you define ethics as the guiding principles for our behavior. And you say that we should use these ethics to act toward um, each other and ourselves in ways that cultivate peace and civility. So I'm quoting from your book here. Um, mm -hmm. Firstly, how can we act more ethically toward ourselves? Right. So ethics, as you said, are principles for moral conduct toward ourselves and others. So an ethical system or practice results in the most good for individuals and the collective, both in terms of the process and the results, which is important. It's a lot about balance. And mm -hmm. this really isn't easy. And it often asks us to slow down and think to really reach our ethical decision, not just to follow others or operate on autopilot, as you said. Mm -hmm. So it's often easy to point out the ethical faults in others, right? He did this, she did that. He's not ethical. She's not ethical. Um, whether it's family we don't agree with or politicians or coworkers or CEOs of large corporations, which is in the news a lot now. <laughs> yeah. um, but however, as I suggest in my book, Awake Ethics, the best approach is really to start with yourself and develop your own practice of ethics by leading by example. Um, so that's what I aim to do really in Awake Ethics is teach people how to cultivate ethical practices toward themselves. So in the book, some principles that are very important for these practices toward yourselves are contentment, discipline, and self-study. Right. So it's really about understanding what these principles mean, but also taking the actions behind them. Okay, so my second question, though, is that um, we're obviously building these ethical principles within ourselves so that we can benefit all of society, but many facets of society change over time. So if we want to cultivate peace and civility in our society, don't you think our ethical boundaries can and should change over time as well? I think that they should change in terms of coming into more alignment with what we really believe is ethical or in into ethical alignment, which is doing the most good for ourselves, others, and the world. Mm -hmm. So like we talked about, I think we're conditioned in ways that maybe aren't so ethical because of these different systems or environments that we grow up in or that we participate in. But I think really, I don't think necessarily ethical boundaries should change or what we believe is ethical should change, but we should continue as we 
evolve and mature and grow to really narrow in on being an ethical person. Because ethical principles, while values, which we'll talk about hopefully more later on, will will probably change depending on your environment, ethics um, really are principles that are universal and timeless. So this ethical system in my book, Awake Ethics, is inspired by an ancient system that's thousands of years old. So this system from Eastern yogic philosophy called the Yamas and Niyamas was originally developed for individuals like in their life um, mm-hmm. as ethical life practices. And myself as a yogi and yoga, yoga teacher, also working in business, I found these principles to be applicable in the business world too, when they were interpreted and applied to modern ethical issues. So really what I found was though society and our environment and times change, really these ethical principles are timeless and still and still hold true, though the environment may change, just the application really changes. Okay. So you mentioned values just then, and you, mm-hmm. do, enc- you do encourage people to understand that there's a difference between values and etiquette and mm-hmm. ethics. Can you explain the difference there? Yes. So ethics are definitely different. One key difference that most people, especially leaders in business, confuse is the difference between ethics and values. So values are qualities to aspire to or one's judgment of qualities that are important. So for example here, uh, one company may have a value for their company or their team that is collaboration, right? They value collaboration. While another company may value individual ownership and Mm. they talk about this with their team or maybe another company values both. So while values are very subjective based on your vision and really what you're trying to do as a company or who you are as a person. And so they're subjective. Ethics are really not subjective. Ethics are the principles that result in moral action, which for every human, you know, doing the most good and resulting in human-centered action really are the same. That's why they're the underlying foundation for a team or for interpersonal skills or for actions toward yourself even. So you really need to practice all 10 of these principles, regardless of what your values are. So if we were to bring that down into an individual level, we could talk about families, for instance. So our particular family might value family time together, and another family might value independence. And Mm -hmm. we also might have different etiquette. Some might have elbows on the on the dining room table, others (laughs) might not, right? So we have those differences. But what you're saying there is that regardless of what your values or your etiquette is, Mm -hmm. our ethics should remain the same or do remain the same. Yes. And for example, those two families, even if they have different types of etiquette preferences or they value different things and therefore take different actions together as a family or do different activities as a family, probably both families have in common that they value non-stealing. You know, they probably both teach their children not to steal from other children or not to steal acknowledgement opportunities or things from other children, which is one of the ethical principles, Um, or to control their energy, right? Not to scream at other children or not to lose their temper, you know? So probably those two families, even if they have different preferences for values and etiquette. They understand that at a human level, the foundational ethical foundation for those two families probably is somewhat the same. I've been extraordinarily blessed to live in several countries all around the world. And it's really poignant what you say there, because it's not just different families down the street from one another. I have found that regardless of culture, because our culture is often based on 
different value systems and certainly different etiquette practices. But all around the world, our ethical norms are exactly the same. And so I love what you bring up there. Now, you designed the Awake Ethics System for business leaders and for influential people in the corporate world. But Hilary, it seems to me that we're all leaders in our own lives. Do you think that an ethical foundation is important for each of us as parents, as community leaders, simply as examples in our community? And if so, why? Yes, I definitely do believe that it all starts at the individual level. And that is what I aim to do with the Awake Ethics System. It starts with each individual. Like when you say that a community is ethical or a culture is ethical, the culture or the community didn't just become that way one day everyone became ethical. It really starts with one individual. And I often think of someone like Gandhi, right? Obviously, he's a big, influential, popular uh, example, but there are many examples of where one person really led the way in cultivating that ethical culture or that ethical community. And each individual had to understand and embody ethics for that culture, community, or team to become that way. So coming back to the notion of leading by example that I mentioned before, yes, we're all leaders of our lives before anything else. So Mm. to really practice ethics, it needs to be fluid or consistent throughout all aspects of our lives. And this is where the alignment word in, in my title, aligning your actions with your core intentions really comes in. Because if we're ethical in our personal lives to our spouse or our family, but we're not ethical at work or vice versa, um, we're really out of alignment, right? It's, it's hard. We feel unaligned as a human if you're really connected with your core beliefs and your core intentions. So people we work with and serve through our work are humans as well, too. So we have a moral obligation really at all levels. And it's sometimes easiest or best to start with the people closest to you in your life. So maybe it's hard to take ethical action, you know, be transparent and truthful and give acknowledgement and um, be open to new ways of thinking at work. But if you start in your personal life, actually, which a lot of people have mentioned who've read Awake Ethics have (laughs) said it's applied in their personal life. If you start in your personal life with the people closest to you in being ethical, um, that eventually will translate over to and you'll want to translate that over to your work um, practice and impacts as well. Okay, very, very early on, you were mentioning how we get conditioned to undertake unethical behavior, cutting in line, leaving the trash secretly, burying it in the sand in the the (laughs) beach, for instance, right? Um, So. Some would actually say that we live in a world that rewards unethical behavior. If we play by the rules, Hillary, while others don't, how are we personally ever going to get ahead? Great question. And this is a question a lot of leaders, whether in workshops or people I consult with or coach, ask me a lot of the time because ethics, a lot of people avoid it or push it away because it seems contrary to, especially here in the US, what capitalism incentivizes or suggests. But, you know, everywhere in the world also, we're either incentivized or we're rewarded sometimes by unethical behavior. Mm -hmm. And this is often the hardest part of cultivating an ethical practice, especially in the competitive world of business and commerce. But like I said, in our lives as well, we're often conditioned, um, as I talked about before, to act unethically to get ahead, but also even incentivized because of the way business and commerce systems and rules are set up 
we act unethically. So I don't know if we'll ever have a perfect system that incentivizes or limits people from acting unethically, but it's really up to each individual to be aware of and create their own boundaries, their own ethical boundaries. So for example, in the final chapter of my book, I talk about this tree that's preserved in my neighborhood in Larkspur. And this tree is in the middle of the road, <laughs> the middle of a neighborhood road, but there's a little boundary, cement boundary around the tree. And the road was actually built around the tree, this big old tree to preserve the tree. And I talk about this in the final chapter of my book as kind of an ethical practice or example on the part of the community because they could have taken the action to cut down the tree and build the road because people need to live there. It's it's good to build the road. It's creating homes and a space and community for people to live. So it's good in a way to create the road. But are you compromising something good by cutting down the tree, right? So, or do you take the other action, which is to not cut down the tree, to preserve the tree, which is also good, right? Because you're preserving nature, but... Um, then people can't drive down that street and maybe they can't even build homes on that street. So in this example, I say it's the most good or ethical because they both left the tree standing. So the tree is living and they built the road around the tree. So a lot of people think there's, you know, one, one way or the other, you yeah. can't be nice in business or nice to other people, um, especially in business, but in your life as well, in order to get ahead or to get what you want, there always has to be a compromise. But in the book, what I talk about is that you should take it to the next level and try to devise a solution that really optimizes the overall outcome. I love that. So it's not zero sum game as we've been mm -hmm. con conditioned to believe, but there must be some form of reward intrinsically from being ethical. Otherwise, ethics never would have survived this long. So tell me about the way that you live your life, Hillary. Do you mm -hmm. find that living ethically has an intrinsic reward for you? Yes, absolutely. So for me personally, definitely ethics has had an impact in terms of me feeling more aligned as a person um, internally and toward myself having better self-care practices, being healthier, um, letting go of expectations around my career and around what I should look like and other things in order to feel happier and actually be a healthier, um, more productive person. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the other major ones, since a lot of the ethical practices are for interpersonal skills or that I've cultivated much more, many more like-minded and genuine relationships with other people, because I've looked for people that are like-minded in, in ethical practices, but also um, just been more genuine with them by applying the ethical principles of transparency and leading by example, and they feel they can be the same way back, um, non-stealing and providing praise or acknowledgement to others, and they often provide it back. So I think both for myself in my own life and in my relationships with others, this ethical system has been pretty powerful in transforming, yeah, how I feel and how I go about my day-to-day -day life. So there's obviously a benefit to each of us if we choose to align ourselves with ethical behavior. And I would say as members of society, we each have a responsibility to try to do so. But do we also have a responsibility to perhaps reward ethical behavior in others? 
Yes. And I think that one thing we're constrained by, especially, you know, from my perspective, I know here here in the U.S., is that a lot of times money, uh, we aren't necessarily rewarded based on ethical behavior, but some of the systems, like I was talking about earlier, mm. to answer your question, actually reward unethical behavior. And, and another example of that is companies that cut costs even to, to make more profit, right? Cut costs yeah. to pay people less or the working conditions aren't great, but they make higher profits and they themselves can then have more material things, have more freedom, even despite that unethical behavior. And that's just how the systems are set up. And sometimes systems of policies and rules and um, monetary payments, I don't think they'll ever be able to incorporate all these very subtle human-centered ethical practices in order to reward. But I think internally what you know parents can do and what leaders can do to reward ethical behavior is give recognition um, to people that are ethical and prioritize promoting or rewarding ethical behavior for sure because it has those longer-term benefits and it does create better bonds and relationships mm-hmm. on teams and in families. But we are also, many of us are we're all consumers and many of us are voters. So those are other powers that we hold where we can consciously choose to uh, to reward those who show the most ethical behaviour. Do you agree? Yes. I think at the individual level, we can always, yeah, definitely voting is a way that we can vote for, you know, the, the most ethical candidate for sure mm-hmm. and do our research in that way. And we can work with like-minded people in our community that are ethical. Uh, we can, yes, by voting or in other ways in our life, lead by example to be ethical ethical, I think, is the number one way that we can really spread um, ethical practices as well as, you know, learning the ethical principles and, and teaching them to others as well in terms of why, what they are and why they're important. So let's have a look at those principles that you refer to. Um, one of them, non-sealing, you've mentioned a couple of times now. You've got 10 principles in your book, Awake Ethics. Some are completely obvious, like truthfulness and discipline, but <laughs> others seem quite surprising. For instance, non-stealing. What, what exactly is non-stealing? Yes. So when you first hear about non-stealing, a lot of people think, oh, obviously not steering, stealing material possessions from yeah. other people. And that's true. But I think, you know, for especially the listeners listening to this podcast, I think it's a little more interesting that you can take that to the next level in business or in families or in your life in general in other ways. And non-stealing is really not stealing acknowledgement and opportunities or experiences from other people. Wow. Yeah, which often happens in our lives, right? Whether we're whether it's on autopilot or because of that, you know, scarcity mindset or whatever it is, a lot of times we do end up, I've seen so many leaders, you know, whether it's stealing recognition or just not acknowledging team members, not taking the time to do it, or not giving a team member an opportunity that they really could give them by just taking the time to set it up or to make the connection, doing that. So really by stealing that opportunity or acknowledgement from someone else, you're taking away motivation from your team or from the people relationship that you're working with. Um, and you're not cultivating progress on behalf of the whole. And I talk about in the book with non-stealing, a lot of times people think, oh, well, if I'm giving, 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 I'm going to be depleted. But really, um, you can protect your energy. And also when you give to others, you're leading by example. And you often, whether from that person or whether it's kind of a karmic connection and later on down the line, you often receive back 
in return just by starting that cycle. You just mentioned energy there. And one of your principles is the control of energy. So mm-hmm. explain explain that to me. That sounds really interesting. Yeah. So control of energy at a high level is really controlling your physical, mental, and emotional state at work and in your life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we have control over, you know, our logical processes and our etiquette and how we work day to day. But a lot of us lose control emotionally, even very senior leaders I've seen lose control of their energy, whether it's um, having a drama or political conversation about someone on the side that takes focus away from the team, or they communicate with a negative tone at meetings and get angry. So a lot of people don't even realize, or maybe they do realize and they want a certain outcome from it, or they don't realize that they're doing that. And what I've seen happens with teams when leaders do that is that they're not actually making the progress that they want to make by using a negative tone or by getting angry. Mm. They're actually distracting the team and depleting the team rather than motivating. So one of the ways I say to give constructive feedback or convey you know, concern to a team member is not to raise your voice or lose control, but to lead with a positive acknowledgement, something else they're doing well, and then lead into the constructive with a tone of equanimity so that they can preserve their energy and they stay motivated to make that change Mm -hmm. and to make progress. I can see how that applies immediately to parenting. Now, as a parent, I've absolutely lost Mm -hmm. my nut and nut in my children (laughs) in the past. But as difficult as it is, and as much as we should forgive ourselves when when we can't reach this particular standard, it seems to me that if we can control our energy as parents in the way that we interact with our children, that's going to have a huge impact on the family as a whole. Yes, definitely. Yeah, just the positive energy and the kids the kids will definitely take in that positive energy and they can take criticism and work on it with a positive attitude. And also they'll probably have more respect for the parents as well and listen to them rather than think the parents are, are angry at them. But I know it does happen and I've seen it happen both on the parenting level and the friendship level and the leader team members. So none of us are perfect. So it's not something to think like, oh my God, I'm a horrible leader. I'm a horrible parent if it happens. But the whole point of the book and you know thinking about these things is, is to start by just cultivating awareness of it when it comes up or it happens first awareness, then you can work on it. So it may not be perfect, you know, the first or the next two or three times that it happens, but starting with that awareness is the first step to working on it. Great. At least knowing what the 10 principles are, it gives us something to aspire to in our daily lives, correct? Yes. Yeah. Now, my favorite principle, like I say, there are 10 in the book, but my favorite one kind of ties them all together. And that is to do more good than harm. Tell me about this concept and how you think we can better flourish if we actually follow that particular principle. Yes. So this principle really ties all the other nine principles together, as you mentioned, because it's the ultimate goal of the ethical system to maximize the good impact on others, ourselves, and the world. So a good example of this is the tree story that that I told before in terms Mm -hmm. of finding an optimal solution, not um, compromising one thing for another necessarily. Sometimes we have to do that, but the ethical leader really stops and thinks, you know, do I have to make this harsh compromise or can I do more good than harm on behalf of the 
collective. We often assume that we can't be nice in order to succeed, or we have to compromise someone's happiness to get ahead or move forward. Or we don't realize we're compromising someone else's happiness or our own long-term happiness when we make a decision or take action. So more good than harm is about being able to zoom in and zoom out to understand the impacts of our actions on different stakeholders and on different time horizons too. Mm. So this is not easy to do and requires slowing down at first, which as you mentioned about autopilot before, a lot of us in our fast paced lives, it's hard to slow down and say, okay, how can I make this an ethical decision? But it does become easier and it's our human responsibility. It does help us flourish in the long term and it helps the world as a whole to, whole to flourish as well. So we develop stronger relationships and live in more alignment. I love the way that it's phrased though, more good than harm. That's not to say that we're expected mm. to go out and not harm anyone at any time because we are human. Mm-hmm. Um but if we can just focus on doing more good in our day than the harm we cause, then that's a good thing. Is that correct? Yes. And in the this is the only principle in the ancient system that I actually changed the name of it because all of the other nine principles in the system have the original name in the, the Yama and Niyama system. But this principle in the original ancient system is actually called non-harming. Mm. And for my book, I changed it to more good than harm because I think a lot of people, non-harming brings a certain, you know, violent aspect to mind, but also for business leaders and, you know, individuals as well. I think, as you said, more good than harm is one, more realistic and leads us in the right direction. But we come up with, if, if we're only into non-harming or doing good alone and not doing any bad, it almost creates contradictions that are really hard to resolve. Mm. Like one example for me is even owning a car, right? A lot of us own an automobile that uses fuel. And so many people say, oh, well, there's bad impacts on the environment of owning a car. So what do we do? Not own a car? Well, ideally, you know, we could buy an electric car, which are still very expensive for most people. And someday that that may be ideal or something even more um, technologically advanced. But for many of us, owning a car, if we just said it's bad to own a car because it has environmental impact, um, we wouldn't be able to get to work and do a lot of good you yeah. know, that we need to do in our work. We wouldn't be able to take our kids to school, which is very, very important. So we can keep working toward more good, right? Like owning an electric car, aspiring toward more good, which is great. The practice really never ends. But starting where you are today, there are always little things that you can do to produce more good, but don't compromise, you know, just everything you're doing when there are some, when the pros outweigh the, <laughs> the <laughs> yeah, harm, the you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, you describe ethics as being upstream from our decision-making process. So, what is it that we need to look for in that moment where we're poised between between taking one action and another? What is it that we look for in ourselves, Hillary, to help us make a more ethical decision? And this is another awesome question because I I love it because we're getting very actionable and practical here. (laughs) Um, So first, before these moments actually come about, these decision decision moments or pivotal moments actually come about, um, just learning and understanding ethics, the 10 principles, is essential because they're on your mind, right? And they're Mm -hmm. You have them as tools. So the exercises in Awake Ethics will help you start to incorporate the principles into your own life and work. But also, 
you'll find that when we reach a fork in the road, right, let's come to the time of the decision, the moment before taking an action or making a decision, there are really two things to consider. And the first is when you reach this decision point, you can ask yourself, what decision here or action will provide the most good on all levels? Mm. Others involved, the other stakeholders involved in this decision, as well as me, right? You have to preserve your own health and, and well-being as well as the world. So you think about that. And then the second consideration when you reach a fork in the road or a decision is what action will provide both peace and progress for all involved. Um, so that's another another one to consider. And I talk about this balance between peace and progress in the introduction and, and throughout the book as well, because sometimes people make a decision in the name of progress alone, like I said before, more profit or more productivity, but the team, the team's peace, like their energy and their morale is then compromised. Right. Or on the other side, it's just in the name of peace and progress is compromised. And that can be you know, applied in our lives as well. So I think those two questions, the providing the most good on all levels and thinking about that balance for yourself and the world in terms of peace and progress are two uh, concepts or, or ways of thinking about navigating a decision. That's great. Now, my final question, and you may have just answered this, is one that I ask all of my guests on the Eudaimonia podcast. But can you recommend a morning reminder? So this might be a daily ritual or a practice, perhaps even just an affirmation that can help my listeners become more consciously ethical in their daily lives. Yes. So there are many great exercises in the book for doing this, but I think that maybe the most impactful is the daily morning writing exercise, which I suggest in the self-study principle chapter. Mm -hmm. um, daily writing really helps to have it helps to have the right prompts when you're doing your daily writing, because I often suggest daily writing, morning writing to people. And they say, oh my gosh, where do I start? And how I started daily writing was just with a pep talk to myself or with when I'm going through a decision at work or in my life, using those prompts that I mentioned um, just a bit ago with you and, and doing my daily writing that way. But some prompts that are great for your morning writing are what is going well right now for me in my life and what am I grateful for? Mm -hmm. Or writing to the prompt, what is the impact I hope to have on the world today or the vibe I want to give out to others? Um, and how can I do that based on what's planned for the day I have to face? So this daily writing practice is actually in itself an ethical practice towards yourself because it cultivates awareness and inner peace. I love those two questions. I think they're really groovy and um, perhaps great questions for us to carry, not just in the morning, but through the day. I love that one. What impact can I have on the world today and help that guide your behavior? Hilary, you have 10 amazing ethical principles in your book. I wonder if you could just list them quickly for us so the listeners understand. Yes. So the 10 ethical principles are truthfulness, non-stealing, control of energy, non-attachment, purity, contentment, discipline, self-study, surrender, and more good than harm. And if people want to learn more about you, more about the book, and more about these 10 principles, where can they find you? Yes. Yeah, so the best place is my website, Awake 
leadershipsolutions.com. My contact information is there. You can find links to my two books, which are both available on Amazon and other booksellers, Kindle and uh, in print on amazon.com, as well as some guest articles I've written. I'm on LinkedIn as Hillary Jane Groskoff, and my business page is Awake Leadership Solutions. And finally, for those of you that like Instagram, I also do post on Instagram, and you can see some sneak peeks of the books there as well at Awake Leadership Solutions. Well, Hilary, it's been such a delight chatting to you. And I love the idea of us becoming more consciously aware and more careful in the way that we integrate ethical behavior into our lives and sort of uh, tread more gently through the world, perhaps. Yes. Thank you so much, Kim. I really enjoyed talking with you today. According to the German theologian Albert Schweitzer, the first step in the evolution of ethics is a sense of solidarity with other human beings. You've been listening to the Eudaimonia podcast. If you'd like to learn more about how to live a truly flourishing life, please subscribe and check out eudaimoniapod.com for more inspiring episodes. I'm Kim Forrester. Until next time, be well, be kind to yourself, and let ethical behavior be your guide. The 2019 Wellness Summit is almost here. I love being at these events. They're always such a great, positive environment. It's been really great to um, listen to like-minded people and to um, meet a few people, actually. I've been to every summit and I've been to every one and I'll always keep coming. It's always inspiring. It's been a real eye-opener. We're actually signed up to go to the Breakthrough now. It's very motivating. I think it's great to listen to people who are inspired. And there's always something to learn and something to take away. I think uh, for myself and giving myself that um, opportunity to, to learn. There's so much going on in life and everything that you can get distracted and forget the things that you should be doing. And this always reminds you to get back on track and, and um, to focus on the things that are important, a holistic help. Just do it, yeah. Just yeah, suck it up and do it. It's, uh, it could be life-changing, yeah. I would say it's awesome and it's the start of changing your life. Come along, see what it's about, and enjoy it. It's an amazing event with like-minded, positive people, and you can't help but um, walk away feeling great. Positive Mentor presents the 2019 Wellness Summit, August 17 and 18 in Melbourne. Can you afford to miss out? Tickets at thewellnesssummit.com. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.